Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. I finished a jigsaw puzzle today. <laughs> cool. It made me think of you because I looked at the box lid a lot. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad that you had the lid and could see what you were supposed to I be did. making. I thought you thought of me because I love jigsaw puzzles, which I do. I didn't know that. Oh, I love jigsaw puzzles. I, oh, well, I'll have to let you borrow this. What I got for Christmas last year was like three different jigsaw puzzles. My mom really? kept asking what I wanted, and I was like, I've already bought all the things that I want because I'm an adult, and so when I want things, I just go buy them. But I was like, you know what I would want? A bunch of puzzles. Well, that's cool. Because that's who I am. I'll let you have this one. We're done with it. Brandon and I finished it. It's Mrs. Dalloway um, by Virginia Woolf. <laughs> of it's course. Like, that's the puzzle. It was at Barnes & Noble. <laughs> it was on the clearance rack for $5. Um, I hadn't done a puzzle since before I since had Since before children. you had people running around yeah. to eat the pieces. Yeah. Now they're they're past eating the I pieces. forget how I managed it last year when I did all those puzzles because I did them. And I, your table's lower than mine. Yeah. I forget how I achieved that. So my friend from Canada was listening to the podcast, and he texted me that uh, the thing that made him laugh the most in episode five was when I said throwing spaghetti at the wall, but he heard putting spaghetti in a wallet, which oh, I guess so is... so much worse. I, I was like, yeah, you know that really common phrase, throwing spaghetti <laughs> in a wallet? You know that thing everyone says? Just, I just have this picture of a person getting out their wallet to pay for whatever. <laughs> it's like, spaghetti. excuse me. Spaghetti. <laughs> and their fingers are all red. Yeah, so oh, spaghetti wallets. Shall we get into it? I guess so, yeah. This, it's your turn. This week's my book. Erotic Stories for Punjabi Widows. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited about this book. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell us the okay. synopsis. Okay, so Nikki is a mid-twenties Punjabi woman living in London. Mm-hmm. Um, her traditional Punjabi family does not approve of her westernized modern life. Even her sister is pursuing a traditional arranged marriage, which she is like not for. It's her sister, Mindy. Mindy. Yes. Um, Nikki visits the local Sikh community center to post her sister's marriage profile to try and find her a husband. And she sees an ad for a creative writing teacher. And so she takes the job. She learns after the first class that it's not so much a creative writing course as Punjabi widows who never learned to read and write. And so Nikki... Illiterate. Yeah. So In English. Instead of teaching them how to do creative writing, she endeavors to teach them English. After one of the first classes, the the women become, like, enchanted by the idea of telling their own stories. And so she walks in on them, like telling an erotic story not mm-hmm. written down but just like speaking it um and so their class kind of turns into the widows trading uh stories that they've made up mm-hmm. there's a romantic subplot as well as a murder mystery subplot 
Uh, Nikki starts to look closer into the mysterious deaths of women in the Sikh community who died after being accused of quote-unquote dishonorable behavior. So the erotica is actually just kind of peppered in like interludes. It's not like a critical part of the plot. Right. Um, The plot is that the stories exist and are getting written by women and not so much what those stories contain. Right. It's interesting to me which plots you called the subplots and which you've referred to as the main plot. Because there were a lot of plots. There were. Um, yeah, I used the word subplot. Maybe that wasn't, like, the correct word no, necessarily. No, I'm, I'm not critiquing it at all. I just, uh, that was something I was going to ask you about. But we'll get into that in a moment. Um, do you want to predict what I thought of this book? This is, uh, it's so hard because <laughs> I feel like this book is made up of components. So it's right. got an erotica component, sure. which is not your jam. No. It's got a romance component, which yep. is not your jam. Right. And it's got a murder mystery component, which is not your jam, which is why I recommended this. I was like, all of the pieces individually are things she doesn't like. I do wonder if you appreciated it put all together. I'm still going to say that even if you appreciated it, you gave it a two. Okay. Um, well, first of all, I do like murder mysteries. Sure. I went through a phase in seventh grade where that's literally all I read. Like those <laughs> cat who mysteries. Yeah. And yeah. So I'm very well versed in that genre. Just haven't dabbled in it a lot lately. That feels like my middle school self. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think you will be pleasantly surprised. I gave it four stars. <gasps> yes. I'm so happy. <laughs> oh, yay. This is our first four star book. So. And we agreed last week that we haven't broken the podcast that... No, this is just one. Yeah. Like, this is the first one. Um, oh, that makes me so Well, happy. all those pieces you mentioned are pieces, but I think the main overarching story is the one you articulated about the women finding their voice. Yes. Which doesn't really fit any of those. And that is what appealed to me about it. That is the thing I loved about Mm -hmm. this book. I also like those other components a lot. Right. But this is a book about feminism. This is a book about stories. This is a book about storytelling, finding your voice, whose stories are important. And that's a theme and a a topic I can get behind and explore. Um, Yeah. And some of the ways it's explored in this are not my typical jam, but it was interesting to me the angle that it was coming at it. And we can talk about that as we go as well. But yeah. Yeah. Um, But how do you... One of the questions I had when I was reading this, what genre do you call I have this? Asked, I've asked that question because, okay. like, one would say, given the title, well, it's erotica. It's not. It's not. No. And even <clears throat> though one of the characters is dabbling in a romance, it's not a romance. No. And it's not a murder mystery. I would call it contemporary fiction, question mark? Okay. Contemporary. F- so I just re-listened to our favorite books of 2022 podcast. Yeah, and we you posited that question: What is the difference between literary fiction, contemporary fiction? Yeah. So as I was listening, I was like, "Well, I'm just gonna Google this." <laughs> we um, could have done that. <laughs> well, it's hard to on the spot, but you know, re-listening. So do you mind if before we get into tell the me book, stuff. tell me something? So I found this really helpful article. Diane Callahan wrote it. It is on uh, medium.com and it's called literary versus genre fiction. And it was very helpful. And as I was reading, I was like, oh, this would have been so helpful to have (laughs) from the beginning of our podcast. But like I often tell my students, like if you discover the answer on your own instead of somebody just handing it to you, it means more. You're going to remember it better. That's what I'm mm, that's what I'm going with. Uh, But I think we started this podcast with the understanding that you read a lot of genres I don't like, like romance, 
thrillers. Yeah. But my, the books I read are kind of more literary, I guess, and that's a little harder to define. Um, so the, the cool thing about this book, all the genres you you enjoy are part of genre fiction. And yeah. then the ones I read are literary fiction, which I think is a little bit less understood than genre fiction. Sure. Is that fair? Um, so this article was really helpful. She quoted a lot of authors um, like Lev Grossman, Neil Gaiman, and some others. And she's clearly like a fan of both. Yeah. But she talks specifically about how literary fiction can often, um, she says, get a bad rap from genre writers uh, because the critics of literary fiction are those who approach it, and I'm quoting from her article, with the same expectations as genre fiction. Plotless books that feature lengthy descriptions are tossed aside for being pointless and slow. With these types of works, though, the objective isn't to keep the reader turning pages or for the writing to stay invisible. Instead, these books ask you to slow down, to appreciate an image or a poetic insight. It's an entirely different reading experience. Right. Which I think we saw with the sense of an ending. And which you've been telling me, the, that's not the point of this book. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I've been saying that less eloquently than she did. Yeah, yeah. but I, I get that. I think by the time we got to Sense of an Ending, you had that, like, okay, yeah, this is a different type of book. Yeah, and she says something for the writing to be invisible. Yes. I I always say that, like, you don't notice what tense something is unless it's wrong, right. usually. Like, you don't notice, you know, the way someone's using similes unless you don't like, unless it's right. wrong, you know? But I think that's true of genre fiction. Yes, of genre fiction. And so, because I write and mostly read genre fiction... That's how I'm used right. to to reading things and digesting them. And so when I notice something over and over again, like the right. use of the word metaphor, I'm like, <laughs> I just want to like get a red pen and just like yeah. critique it. But yeah, like that's not what literary fiction is. And then genre fiction also gets a bad rap for being yes. like lowbrow, I guess. Or yes, she talks simple. about that because she's very much a proponent of genre fiction. So if you want to check out her whole article, it's a really great read. It's an easy read. Um, but she puts side by side genre fiction and literary fiction and how they're different in a really helpful, succinct way. Um, she talks about how they have different purpose, that genre fiction is plot driven entertainment and that literary is character driven art. It's like about the craft of like yeah. writing. And that there's pros and cons to each of those. Like, she she explores how each of those things are good and bad and how the genres cross over as well. Um, and how the audience expectations for genre fiction is more escapism, while for literary fiction it's like reading for improvement. Like, yeah. how we learn not to waste our life from yeah. the sense of an ending. And that genre fiction's plots are large-scale drama, external conflict, page-turning very fast. You have a big baddie. You mm-hmm. get your villain splain. Yeah, right? I love a villain splain. Right. Whereas in literary fiction, there's the small-scale drama and internal conflict, often involving relationships um, and psychological, you know, contemplation. And then the emotional nuance and the authenticity, like the realism. Uh, and then style, genre fiction is very accessible, easy to read. And then literary fiction is carefully crafted sentences, which can make it less accessible. Like, I think that's one of the reasons I like Murakami is he's he's more literary fiction, but very accessible. On a sentence level, it's very yeah. accessible. Um, and they all, like, it's a spectrum. They're not mutually exclusive. None yeah. of them are. There are cross, you know, books that cross these genres all together. And she ends her 
article by saying it's easy to see the similarities in what makes both good genre and good literary fiction. They surprise us in some way and they explore universal ex experiences. Yeah. So, like, there's a lot of crossover. Um, but, yeah, that was just really helpful to me. Like, oh, okay, like, we can separate. I think I'm coming to understand that, like, our tastes are, your tastes are more toward genre fiction, mine are toward literary fiction, with, I think, the exception of fantasy. Yeah. Um, which we'll get into. Later. And I do like some literary fiction. So are we saying, with this definition and this understanding, are we saying that contemporary fiction is part of the genre world <laughs> and therefore plot-driven rather than... So she put contemporary fiction under literary fiction. Okay. But it's also... I looked up a definition on masterclass.com, and it just defined it as anything written from 1990 to the present... That it is concerned with meaning, sincerity, and uncertainty, which are all very broad. To okay. Me. Yeah. Uh, and it called out some famous contemporary fiction writers like Murakami, Ishiguro, Margaret Atwood, um, and then like Dan Brown and Steve Larson, yeah. who are very, I would think, genre. I would have called Dan Brown genre. But... Right. Um, and then like Donna Tartt, you know, who wrote The Secret History. So. Yeah. I think it's I think it's kind of a crossover contemporary fiction and that's yeah. more of a name that goes with the time it was written. I think one of I said during our like 2022 wrap up that I think my favorite genre is con contemporary fiction. I think it's because it's like the perfect little like middle ground between yeah. literary fiction and like straight genre. I think so. Because straight genre can sometimes be boring. If you've read a lot of that genre, it becomes predictable. But contemporary fiction is that like it's not formulaic, it's not completely predictable, but it's also not a drag. Right. <laughs> you know? And, and it has a life lesson, usually, and, like, yeah. an overarching get-to-the-heart-of-it theme. And Callahan talks about that in her article and quotes famous authors about how the best of both, you know, really do something surprising within their genre. Even literary fiction can get very pat and very trite-seeming. It has its own tropes, you know. Yeah. Um, like, all these literary fiction authors hold an MFA in writing and have won <laughs> certain prizes, you know. Um, but that can also become formulaic. So the ones that play with it, I think, are some yeah. of the best ones. And she has, at the end, a list of books that, like cross over a bit and there's some I mean have you read The Ocean at the End of the Lane? Yes. So Neil Gaiman yeah. Yeah, Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's yes. Tale um, a book we both hate Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell Yeah um, I see by it. Susanna Clark Cloud Atlas by David have Mitchell have read that one No but you will half, well you half read The Bone Clocks which yes. he also wrote so all this to say I still don't know where erotic stories for Punjabi widows fits in I yeah. guess contemporary I'm going to say that, yeah. And what makes it good is it is playing with the it genre It really plays a lot. with genre. It's doing a lot of things, which kept you on your toes. I think, like, if it had just focused on the romance or just the erotic stories, it would have gotten pretty boring. But yeah. that's not what it's about solely. So it was it was interesting. It held my attention. Um, I really enjoyed, I listened to the whole audiobook. Me too. Uh, okay. So neither of us read the physical. Yeah, I have not read a physical. It was very helpful because she uses a lot of not even just Indian names, but, like, terms for food and yeah. cultural terms, like, within the temple that I just would never have known how to yeah. pronounce. I liked listening to her pronounce it for us. Yes. She also, when she got to the erotic stories, her the narrator's voice kind of took on this, like, lower <laughs> tone. <laughs> it wasn't over-exaggerated, but it was like, oh, here we are now. <laughs> We're in an erotic story. <laughs> <laughs> they were funny. 
So I guess we should talk about what I didn't like about it, since that's sure. the whole point. I docked it one whole star uh, for the, what I'm going to call the C-plot of the book, <laughs> The Romance. Oh, no. Between Nikki and Jason is his name. Yes. Who is also a Punjabi man. He's from, I couldn't remember. Is he from Canada or Canada. California? Oh, okay. well, he's I from was... California, but in a conversation, someone mistakes him as being from Canada, I think. Okay, yes, I think you're right. Um. <sighs> Every time this plot came up in the book, I was like, oh, please, can we not? <laughs> Why did you hate it so, so much? Surely it's not love in and of itself no, that you hate so much. So it started out as real predictable. Like, their meet cute is they're both, like, going into the alley by the temple to smoke. <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yes, this is how we know you're modern and edgy. <laughs> you know, you're smoking by the temple. And honestly, and it is a C plot, like, I think... The story about the widows and them finding their voices is the main one. And then the murder mystery yeah. is, this. I would say, the next yeah. biggest plot. So this is after those. So it doesn't get as much time. Yeah. And so it's underdeveloped. Like, it was not interesting to me. Like, they hit it off. They have a nice time. That That's it. And he clearly is up to something shady. Like, yeah. it's very obvious. He won't... Must let... leave the room to talk on the phone. Yes, and he won't go back to his apartment. They have to go to her apartment. I'm like, okay. If a man won't take you to Come his on. apartment, he lives with his it's... mom, or he has a weird roommate, it's or a wife. It's <laughs> very obvious, like, something's going on. And okay, I'm going to spoil this C-plot, because I have to in order to talk about what I didn't like The book about could it. exist without this plot, so it's fine. Yeah. Not only was it just predictable... I... I didn't see the purpose that it served in the story. Like, I knew the murder mystery was happening, and I knew at some point Nikki would be in danger. And so I was like, well, maybe he's here to come save the day. He doesn't. He doesn't, which I liked. Mm -hmm. The widows save the day, which is awesome. <laughs> um, I liked that. I liked that choice on the writer's part. But that just also meant he was completely useless. Right. Why is he in this book? And then, <sighs> then... Let's talk about her Beatrix Potter book, okay? <laughs> so the whole book, Nikki is searching for this book that is a journal of Beatrix Potters who wrote Peter Rabbit and the accompanying tales, if you're not familiar. And she saw this book in, like, a used bookstore in India one time and has always wished she had bought it and has searched for it in used bookstores ever since. Look, I identify. Like, sure. I have that book. There is a copy of Alice in Wonderland in French that I did not buy in Brussels that I still wish to this day that I had. Um, and not even just that book, but that copy of the yeah. book. Because, like, Brandon has since purchased that for me one Christmas, and it was so sweet. But it's also, like, a smaller paperback version and not the same it's large... not the same. Hardback, I know, and, and I love it. And it was a very thoughtful gift that he gave me. But, so I was like... That was a fun little thing. And you knew. You knew, like, somebody was going to find it yeah. by the end. And I really wanted it to be from her dad. Oh, that would have been great. That's what I wanted. Because she, her father has passed away at the beginning of the book. And they were estranged at the time. But I, he died while they were in India. And so I wanted it to, like, somehow surface at the end that he had found this. And, and it's he's a, the reason she didn't buy the book. Yes. He commented on how it was, like, frivolous and silly. And so she didn't buy it because he exactly. was there watching her. And so that's what I wanted to happen. That did not happen. Yeah. What happened is one of the tropes in romance that I hate the most. And it is the grand gesture. <laughs> Look, a relationship is not built on one grand gesture. Anybody can make one grand gesture and then still be a crappy person. I dated that guy. Uh, well, yes. <laughs> and so 
I was so disappointed when it was Jason. But first of all, his shadiness comes to light. It is not surprising when it does. And he was being dishonest. And I'm not going to talk at length about whether she should or should not have taken him back. But you don't build a relationship on dishonesty. And he, I guess, atones for it by finding this Beatrix Potter book and giving it to her. And then, okay, everything's fine. And I hate that. (laughs) Because I know you so well, I think this is particularly funny. It might not be as funny to everyone listening to the podcast, but, like, you're so not a great... You're not even a minimal gesture person. (laughs) No, I'm not. You have often said that if (laughs) your now husband was not a long-distance relationship, him, like, waiting for you at your locker would have driven you yeah. absolutely insane and you would have broken up with him and we would not be sitting here today. because yes, we were You're not even apart. a, yeah. like, basic gesture person. Gifts is my, like, lowest love language, you guys. Um, <laughs> it makes me feel awkward and uncomfortable, <laughs> like, regular gestures. Uh, so, yeah. And then I also just, you know, you don't fix things with that. Like, okay, he found this book, but... He still lied to you. Like, he apologizes for lying. He does. He does. And he's fine. Like, he's just kind of boring, if I'm being honest. I just said the book could do, like, the book could exist without this plot. So, should it be in there if you can completely subtract it from the book and the book still exists? The only thing that came out of it that I liked was the foil that it provided with her sister. Mm -hmm. Um, So, her sister, Mindy, is seeking an arranged marriage. For a while, I was even unsure, like, why? Well, she it serves the plot more, her sister, because that's what gets um, Nikki to the temple to post her sister's marriage profile, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and how she finds out about the widow's class to begin with. But um, I really liked Nick, or I really liked Mindy's inclusion in the book uh, because I tend to be traditional in a lot of things. And Mindy is a traditional person. She's an older sister like I yeah. am. And she and Nikki have this interesting conversation at the end of the book where she's like, you know, Nikki, just because you are more modern in your thinking doesn't mean that everybody who is traditional is wrong. I loved that line and thought of you when I read yeah, it. Yeah, I really appreciated that. It's Yeah, because it's what feminism really is, is you get to choose for yourself. So if what right. you want to do is have six kids and be a stay-at-home mom, Go that's well. feminism. Yeah. And me supporting you doing that is feminism Mm -hmm. it's not to say you don't get to choose that for yourself you don't get to have babies and want to be a mom and like cooking like mindy had her reasons for wanting an arranged marriage Mm -hmm. and one of the themes of the book is like tradition versus modernism and the balance between the two and not vilifying either right like exactly learning to find the the happy middle ground where you're not you know, making either way the only right way. Yes. And that's the thing. Nikki is a main character. She could have gotten really annoying. And some some reviewers did find her really annoying, I will say. Um, But I liked her arc because I think it was an important one. She starts out the book like, you know, modern. She She thinks tradition's dumb. But she goes on this arc of learning to appreciate her heritage, learning to appreciate those who have come before her and built this tradition that she is still a part of and yeah. it's still in her bones. Like, And I don't really, you know, I'm not part of a minority culture or ethnicity, so I can't really identify with that other than the fact I'm from a really big family. <laughs> um <laughs> My dad's one of 12, and whenever we all get together, like we did last year for my grandfather's funeral, there's just something, like, in your bones. Like, you know, a lot of my cousins I rarely talk to. I definitely talk to you and and other friends 
more than they do and they know me better but there's something about when we all get together we just have this knowing with each other yeah we're just a part of this and i love that feeling when i go back to visit and i i am imagining that that's what it's like for these cultural minorities when they get to like celebrate where they're from instead of try to hide it. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you absolutely love and approve of every single person in your family sure, who's right. there for that. And so there can be a balance between like, I see what's wrong with some of this. Right. I don't fully buy into every single thing that we're doing here, but this is in my bones and I love it and I'm here to appreciate it. Yeah. And it's part of what like has given you your family and, and your, you know, values system, yeah. even if you've tweaked it or changed it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I liked pretty much the rest of the book. The The romance Jason storyline was the part I did not like. The The cultural stuff was really interesting. I don't know a lot about Indian culture. Yeah. So it was really fun for me to learn about Sikh culture in, specifically because yeah. Indian is very broad. Yeah, <laughs> not everyone in India is Sikh. No, um, so she is specifically Sikh or Punjabi as the title yeah. suggests. I did wonder occasionally while I was reading what somebody from this culture would think of this book because it is often not portrayed in a very positive light. Mm-hmm. I just wondered how accurate it is and yeah. if somebody from that culture would be offended or feel like it was accurate. Right. Well, the author has Punjabi roots. I I imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We'll talk more about the author later. But yeah, I would be interested Mm -hmm. to know that too. But even if, you know, somebody from that tradition did take umbrage with what the author is portraying, I think she does do a good job of showing the good side of it too. Yeah, I think by the end, she has not vilified the religion or, you know, the no, it, cultural No, it's more like a specific sect of males within. Yeah. Well, not even just males. That There are some females. It's a specific attitude that exists within the culture, which is true yes. of every culture. Yes, every there culture are, has that. There are Christians and Muslims and Sikhs that you need to avoid because yes. they... Or even atheists. like Yeah, you know. because they take it to a place that's just really unhealthy and really you know, dangerous for other people. Yes. And there are Christians and Muslims and Sikhs who are the Mother Teresas of their, you know, group. There is a beautiful moment at the end of the book where one of the, she's not a widow, but she is the other main character, I guess, that we should call out in the book, Colwinder. She is the woman who runs the Sikh center. I don't remember what it's called. But she is the one who employs Nikki to teach this class. Um, She is... Older, middle-aged, older than middle-aged. What, 50s? Yeah, has an adult child. Yeah, she's in her 50s, and um, but she, her husband's still alive, so she is, is not a widow. And she goes on her own arc throughout the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the book, she encounters um, a really hostile young man in a copier shop, and she leaves the shop and thinks a prayer to herself for him. And her prayer for him is that he will learn balance and moderation and that he may hear himself. That's really sweet. I loved that. Not that he will change, not that he will radically be different. Like, that you will find a more middle ground to, like, not be so hostile toward people and and to also hear yourself. That was beautiful to me. I want to pray that about more people. Like, yeah. And to, I mean, about myself. Hear yourself. Like, yeah. Think about what you're saying and what you're putting out in the world. Well, and because she talks about how the this like militant group of men who are part of the community have gone to 
younger men and tried to influence them, tried to essentially radicalize them. And so this idea of, like, hearing yourself instead of others, like, someone else is telling me to be this way. Is that what I really want to be? And that is the young man, exactly the young man she encounters. She talks about how the summer before he had been just this, you know, nice young man. But they, like, got to him. Yes. Um, So I, I appreciated that. Yeah, my favorite part that I just gave it a whole star for on its own is the multi-generational plot and how Nikki learns to appreciate these widows. There's a moment where she's defending them to her sister who's making yeah. fun of, like, what do these, you know, old grannies have to say about erotic stories? And she's what? like, they have voices. And th- and when she defends them to her sister, that was, like, I feel like a turning point for her. It was like, yeah. okay, yeah, she she gets it. And any anything that's helping, you know, to foster multi-generational connections, I really like. We both love a multi-generational tale. And so, okay, last thing I'm going to bring up. You want to talk about the erotic stories? Let's talk about erotic stories. (laughs) Not my bag. (laughs) But I didn't dock it a star for the erotic stories because, one, they're very skippable. Yeah. Like, unlike... What's the spoiler wrong alert? Yes, unlike spoiler alert. You really alert, could skip them. They're literally self-contained chapters because they're the stories that the women are writing in the class. Yeah. And that is the other thing I liked about it. I think one of the things I don't enjoy about erotic portions in in books is that when I read a book and get to know a character, you know, I feel like they're my friend. And I don't want to know those details about my friends' lives. (laughs) So I don't want to know them about these characters either. (laughs) And, you know, there are some romantic interludes between, like, Nikki and Jason and even Cole Winder and her husband. But the author drops the curtain on those. Yeah. So it makes them seem more like real people. Like, I'm not getting a peek into their lives that I shouldn't. You should have your privacy. (laughs) Yeah. These stories are made up. And some of them are even fantasy, like the woman that comes out of the fabric. Yeah. The tailor. These are stories that the women have made up, but they're not necessarily about themselves. And so I appreciated that because it didn't make me feel voyeuristic and I could skip them if I wanted to. Yeah. So I liked that. Also, I'm going to call out another moment... That was just my favorite that I loved in this story. I hope I'm not stepping on your toes. And there was a moment that literally almost brought me to tears. So Colwinder, when she finds out what's going on in her classes, she is appalled. Yes. Of course, as any good you know, yeah. Punjabi woman would be. And she confiscates the stories. And she takes them home. And what does she do? Of read course, them. she she can't help it. You know, she's gonna read one or two or five. I need to look at this to make sure it's really as bad as I thought. Right. And this whole book, she and her husband have been on—I don't even know what kind of terms you would call it. They're just coexisting. They're coexisting because of a tragedy in their right. lives. They've really grown apart, and they don't have that same warmth. Right. And like, therefore, no physical. No, intimacy. and like any trauma that a couple goes through, like they haven't figured out how to deal with it. How they don't talk about it. So she reads these stories, and lo and behold, they enjoy a night together. You know? <laughs> but in the morning, when she wakes up, she feels ashamed. Oh. She feels like her first thoughts, she wakes up, she sees her clothes on the ground. He's already up downstairs, whatever. And she is worried about what he thinks. And she calls herself like an animal. She's yes. Like, yeah. This is a 50-some-year-old woman who's been married to this man for yeah, 20, she 30 years. She with her husband. And I just, I, oh, I just, my heart broke for her and for all women like her. And I know that's not specific to Punjabi culture. Like, I know that's pervasive, like. That idea of, like, you cannot enjoy physical intimacy. Or you're gross. Even in that kind of context. Like, the most traditional conservative context, you 
Okay. So that was just heartbreaking. But then she goes downstairs and he's making tea, which is this really nice gesture because men don't do things in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And she tells him, oh, you're burning it and starts to. And then they just look at each other and they start laughing. And it is so heartwarming and just goes to show the power of physical intimacy, too. Yeah. And not just like sex, but any kind of, you know, physical intimacy to try and overcome trauma, like a hug or just. Yeah. The like they have not hand. been touching at all. No. Yeah. And it, uh, it was really cool. Yeah. I, I really liked that moment and the power that it showed that it has just not in a. You know, not in a gross way, not in an exploitative way, just in a, like, human physical contact with people you love. Like, yeah. That was really nice. So I had to call that out. It makes me so happy that you liked this book because I, I I've did. never uh, talked to anyone else who's read it. Really? I read this book. More people should read this book. More people should read this book. Yes. Um, so I, I first read this book when it originally came out. Um, it was on Reese Witherspoon's like book, oh, yes. book club pick. Yes. And I. Reese, the new Oprah. Yeah. So I picked it that month and I listened to the audiobook and I loved it. It was great. And I'd never, I like mentioned it to people and nobody had read it and nobody who I mentioned it to then went and read it. Maybe I know someone in my personal life who's read this book, but I am not aware of it. And so I've been waiting years to talk to someone about this well, book. But then you say the title, Erotic, erotic <laughs> Stories from yeah. Punjabi Widows, and people are like, that doesn't sound like my thing. So I forced your hand, and I was like, I'm going to talk to someone about this I, book. I have to say, when I saw it on our spreadsheet, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I don't think I can handle this. But I, I can, and it, it was very good. And even the, like, murder mystery plot, like, I called the twist. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to spoil it. But I called the twist. And it was still interesting to read. Yeah. Um, and because the relationships involved were also interesting. Yeah. Even though I knew it was coming, it was interesting to see it play out. Yeah. Um, it was a good book. I'm yeah. so glad. Yeah. I like it. Yay. Well, now that I know that you liked it, but I still am going to, you know, oh, say, yeah. no, say, say my things. Want, say what you want to say about it. Um. So, because you've read it at least twice, I've yeah, I re listened to it this past week because I was like, it's been a really long time, and I wanted to know if it held up because I've never talked to anybody else about it. Mm -hmm. And so, I've just had this idea in my mind I was like, I loved this book, but sometimes you love something and then you go back to it and you're like, I don't know, it must have just been the time of my life or something, right? So, I listened to it again, and when I finished, I was like, Five stars again. I do not change my mind. I stand by my original choice. And I was so happy with myself because I was like, yeah, that still works. So, yeah, I listened to it very, very recently. The themes. I just want to talk about the themes. Yes, do. So we've already mentioned tradition versus modernity. In the beginning, Nikki seems averse to pretty much all things traditional. She's moved out of her you know, parents' house and she's yes. very poo-pooing her sister's oh, idea. Oh, she's so mean to me. Uh, to have an arranged marriage. Um, but through her interactions, I think it's through the widows that she learns that tradition is not all... Right. Let's throw it out. Um, and they learn from her, not everything Western is filthy and, like... Right. <laughs> skanky and whatever like they are obviously very stark ends of the spectrum when they first meet and by the end they're closer to the middle the power of stories oh yes the so power great. of stories whose stories are important is a big theme in this book and i feel like a big theme like in the world right now like yes whose stories are worth listening to mm -hmm. throughout this book it's you know men are worth listening to and 
that's pretty much it. And Mm so these women getting to tell their stories and this is surely not the only culture where widows, especially it's like women are supposed to be wives and then be mothers. And once you're done doing that, Mm -hmm. literally, what are you for? Right. And they feel this way about themselves. Like when they come to the class, it's so that they have something to do with their time. It's not even because they necessarily want to learn English. None of them are like, we signed up for this literacy class because, you know, we really want to learn English. It's so that we can leave the house, so that we can do anything. Well, and it's just so we can have a purpose, which I feel like also could relate to even... People who are, like, of retirement age. Like, I know that's one of the... I think that's, like, the second most stressful time in a person's life. Because, yeah, like, what they, do I do yeah. with myself? And that's what I think these widows are feeling. Because essentially in their culture, once they're widowed, they're retired. Like, yeah, that's it. Especially some of these women, they're young. They were widowed oh, yes. young. Yes. And so now their entire lives are just... That's all. They're conservative Punjabi women. They're not dating. Right. Like, they're not... No. <laughs> they're not, like going to parties with their friends like they're sitting at home and some of them have been not only are they widowed young but then some were married so early that this is all they have known yeah so what do they you know what do they do i really like seeing them learn for themselves that their stories were worth telling like it's a lot of people know my story is worth telling but no one wants to hear it because the surroundings i'm in no one wants to hear my story But to have someone not even realize that their story is worth hearing and then to find that, that's very different. I liked how the stories we tell, we tell ourselves about each other Mm -hmm. have an impact on those people. I just, in the last couple of days, I watched the Harry and Meghan thing on Netflix. the big new documentary. Yes. I really liked it. And you can watch it or not watch it. Oh, it's, but I have no opinion. One of the things that Meghan said, because she was, the media said so many just untrue things about her and she's been getting death threats, you know, now for the last 10 years or whatever. People have threatened to kill her. People have threatened to kill their children. They have to have insane security just to keep safe. And at one point in time in the documentary, Megan broke down crying and saying like, it's not just stories you're telling about me. The stories you are telling are making people want to kill me Mm -hmm. and they have real life consequences yeah no matter if they were real or not the stories you tell about others impact how people are going to treat them and of course like we've seen this in american culture you know the stories you tell about history about anything present day yeah (laughs) people act on those yeah Mm -hmm. they go and do something about that they go and make a choice based on a story they've been told. And that's kind of what's happening in this book is these women believe what they've been told about themselves. And the militant group of men has been told a story about what role women serve Mm -hmm. and what role they serve and how those dynamics are supposed to work. And because they've been told that story, they take action that's really dangerous to the characters in this story. I mean, there's a murder mystery as part of this book. And so the things that you say... Yeah. yeah. And I think the word story, I, I want to reclaim it because we associate it with only fiction. Yeah. But I don't, it, it isn't. Like the story no. you, you know, the maybe narrative is a narrative, better word. Yeah. Like the narrative of your life, you know, it's, it's real. It's you lived it. But then how you spin it to people, you know, yeah. is different. Reclaiming your own narrative. I like yes. that. Yeah. 
um, even to women who can't read and write. And you said in English, I'm not certain they can read and write in, it's not Punjabi, that's not the language. It's, they might can, but like some of them, it says they don't have an education past like, Oh, yeah. Some of them got, one of them got married when she was 10. Yes. I don't oh. know that she can read and write. So, yeah, I think there was varying levels of like, yeah. if they could write in their own language. Yeah. Yeah. Some, and like one of the widows, you know, was essentially just as modern as Nikki. So there's a variety. There was a right, spectrum within a the spectrum. group. Mm-hmm. But even for the ones who maybe have never read a book, stories are so integral to human nature mm-hmm. that they knew how to craft a story without being able to read or write. Oh, yeah, it's fun when they're like, well, what happens next? Well, how you need to add this twist or you yeah, need to like, telling, some action. Telling stories to each other is so human that you don't have to know anything in order mm-hmm. to do it. Or be educated, quote, yeah. unquote. You know. Yeah, like, they're great storytellers. Mm-hmm. Like, these stories that they have are good. And, yeah, I just really loved that, that stories must just be so much a part of, like, what, we're here to do. Yeah, that. and there's a variety. Like, you get the sense that some of the widow's stories are very much autobiographical. Mm-hmm. And then you get the sense that some of them, like I said, are very fantasy-based. Like, supernatural things happen that yeah. obviously didn't happen to them. So you get the whole the whole spectrum, too. Yeah. Which, you even have genre within yeah. these uneducated women. Now we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about sex. Okay. Um, <laughs> sure. Um, so, in the same way that, like, stories come, like, so naturally mm-hmm. to people... This book shows that intimacy does, too. Because mm-hmm. oh, yeah. most of these erotic stories that they're telling, these women were not, for the most part, were not treated well by their husbands. They did Or happily married. Yeah, yeah, they were not happily married. They did not have a marriage full of good sex before their husbands mm-hmm. died. Some of them were physically and sexually abused or verbally abused. Some of them were married off when they were 10 years old. Ugh, yeah. Like, some of them had marriages completely sexless like these women didn't know how to tell an erotic story from lived experience right but intimacy is so core Mm -hmm. to who we are Mm -hmm. that people can tell you know what it's like to be intimate without even having experienced it and to be loved too like part some of the stories were very like some of them were very explicit and then some were not. They were no. more, like, about the feeling and the tone of being, like, doted on and, and to feel beautiful. Well, and this is what I liked about all of them is the stories are, you know, really short. Yes. I haven't read the physical book, but I be- bet they're only a couple of pages. Yeah, they're not long. And each one of them has a romantic lead-in to the sex part. It like, oh, yeah. all of them have a backstory, how these characters find each other and how they long mm-hmm. for each other and how they love each other and how, and in a two-page story, mm-hmm. yes, going into that amount of backstory, it's very clear that what these women really want is love. Right. And, like, that's so sad, kind of. All they really want is love, and a lot yeah. of their stories are very autobiographical in, like, that they show up, they hold up a mirror, essentially, to what was missing in their real-life yes. relationship. Yes, And so many of them, it was, I want my husband to care about my pleasure. Right. That's pretty mm-hmm. basic. Mm-hmm. I want my husband to actually like me. That's pretty <laughs> oh, basic. Yeah. Some of them were, I want to feel safe during sex. Yeah. Like, <sighs> 
you're asking for the bare minimum yeah. if what you want is to feel loved and safe. And I just wanted to... Maslow's h- hierarchy of needs. That's like... Yeah, I just wanted to hug to- all of them and be like, this shouldn't be a story. This should... Whatever. But isn't that the beautiful thing about stories, even though they didn't have it in actuality? Yeah. They could have it through these stories. And then also in actuality through the community they built around yes. the stories. You hear the term erotic stories and you think these are going to be like their fantasies are going to be really wild kinky sex stuff and it's like really most of the stories are about someone caring about them mm-hmm. and also then they have sex yeah <laughs> and yeah and most of them are pretty basic i mean <laughs> yeah i mean like it's just your it's just your normal sex stuff <laughs> even though this is the culture that gave us the kama sutra some of them are you know kinkier than others whatever but again they're skippable oh so yeah the one with the bellboy <laughs> The one with the um, clay dildo. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yep. That's true. That happened. So let's talk about the author. I've never heard of her. So so. she was born in Singapore and raised in Japan, Russia, and the Philippines. Whoa. I know, right? Um, She studied creative writing at Hollins University in Virginia and worked as an English teacher in Australia and Turkey. She's cooler than both of us combined, for sure. I've been to one of the... Well... If we include Virginia, two of the places she <laughs> should we include Virginia. Yeah. yeah, so I was like, girl, oh my goodness. Wow. She has held fellowships at the University of East Anglia in Nanyang Technological University, where she also completed her PhD in South Asian diaspora writing. So her oh, specialty okay. is South Asia diaspora writing. Okay, cool. So I'm very interested to read her other books. I have not read anything else by her, but this is her like Is this her debut novel, or is this just her biggest novel? This is her biggest. Okay. So in an interview, which I'll link to in the show notes, um, this is a quote from her. I've always been interested in how women in conservative societies experience and express desire when they are policed and controlled by men. What knowledge did Punjabi women from my grandmother's generation have of sex and intimacy, and how was that passed down to them? I wanted to know what would happen if I put a group of Punjabi widows who had spent their whole lives in the shadow of their husbands in a space where they could talk freely about these things. Once I began writing, I realized that if women began discussing one aspect of marginalization, the floodgates would open and they would become empowered to address other issues too. That's why a number of other issues are woven into the novel. Racism, sexism, class and caste hierarchies, domestic abuse, and many other forms of alienation that impact these women on multiple levels. Sexuality being policed by men is Mm -hmm. very much a theme in this. And kind of like I said before, what do women know about sex if if their knowledge about it has been policed (laughs) and this passing down of it has been policed? And from this book, I know that they... No vegetable euphemisms. <laughs> That's all I could think they of. They know when you vegetable read that. euphemisms and coconut oil. Yeah, because uh, Nikki even says she doesn't know the like technical words for like body anatomy in their language. In their language, yeah. She's like, I've never learned that word. Because all the widows just keep referring to them as aubergines. Aubergines. Which is British for eggplant. And courgette, which is British for cucumber. Yep. So there's, yeah, like there's one hilarious... At least aubergine and courgette are like way fancier words. Oh yeah, they sound more French. But yeah, like the one scene where Nikki goes to the market and like can't even vegetable <laughs> shop. Cracked me up. She sees the woman like holding up an eggplant and she's like, oh, put it down. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, so yeah, and it, this book has humor. Yeah. It's, it's fun. It is really fun. 
Ballycar Yuzwal is known for writing about socially challenging sus- subjects. So, like, all of her books okay. deal with stuff like this. Are they all Indian? I don't think so. Okay, cool. Um, I know one of them especially is about Singapore. Um, That's the other place besides Virginia I've been, so I would <laughs> like to read that book. <laughs> you haven't been to Turkey? No. You didn't go to Ephesus? Uh, well, maybe I did. I can't remember. I feel like you'd remember if you'd been to Ephesus. It was part of the whole Greek... Ex- we went on some Yeah, excursions. did you go on a cruise? No, we went to Corinth. Yeah. I don't know that my I group, went to Ephesus. My group went to Ephesus. Um, we're referring to our college study abroad program, which yeah. we did the so, same program at separate times. So I went to Turkey, but I have not been to Singapore. <laughs> yeah, Singapore. I've also been to Virginia. <laughs> yeah, we've both been there. <laughs> Yaswal wrote an op-ed piece for the New York Times entitled, The Censor... And the vibrator, which I really want to go read now, (laughs) in which she addressed the challenges of living under Singaporean government censorship, including growing up with a skewed and incomplete understanding of sex. I wondered which kind of censor you were referring to. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) The the C-N-S-O-R and the vibrator. Right. Okay. I feel like that would be fun to read. That's all I had written down, except for a couple of different reviews of it. So I did, in spirit of the show, since... We both really like the book. Feel like we need to hear from some people who didn't. All right. Let's <laughs> so hear some I did, objections. I did look up some one-star reviews. Um, I feel like these are pretty representative of the majority of the reviews I saw. So the first one from Sarah. On Goodreads, she gave it one star. But in her review, she specifies that technically she gave it half a star. Oh. So just read the first sentence and then where I marked. The only thing I liked about this book was finishing it. Okay. The characters are dull and superficial. I didn't care for any of them. Don't get me wrong. I wanted to like them, or at least some of them. The setting of the book with themes of feminism, belonging, and life experience of Indian immigrants in London had promise, but the story was so predictable and contrived, it was painful. Utterly painful. (laughs) (laughs) The erotic stories are so terribly written. Uh, I take them. I don't have much frame of reference, so I'll let you answer that. They're perfectly great erotic stories, and I've read several. Okay. (laughs) The erotic stories are so terribly written, I stopped reading them. Was I supposed to get aroused by them? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, keep reading. It's fun. (laughs) I couldn't even laugh at them. Every time something happened that I had predicted chapters beforehand, I groaned. And I can assure you, the groan was an agony, not ecstasy. I love the question. Was I supposed to get aroused by that? Yeah. There were a lot of people that were like, yeah, those were terrible. But, I mean, like, like I they're said. They're risk-skippable. That's... Yeah. You have to remember who's writing them. Sure. Like, yeah. it's a 60-year-old Punjabi lady who, like, watches soap operas. I Some of them had a very, like, soap opera, yeah. telenovela Some of them were, like, vibe. adorable erotic yes. stories. Yeah. You know, pay attention to what you're reading. And I don't... Answer that question for yourself, Uh, Sarah. Are you supposed to be aroused by them? (laughs) That's your Um, own business. And the predictability, like, there was some predictable moments, but I was still interested in the book. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, Okay, Lily. Yeah, go ahead and read Lily's. Whew, this book. I'm not sure how to process what this book was as far as genre. I'd say if you like mystery with bricks for porn... This is the book for you. (laughs) 
know who wants that. Mystery with breaks for porn. I want that on a shirt. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little strange to read. The outside plot is interesting and the cultural aspects are compelling. Mm -hmm. So the erotic stories almost start to feel like a distraction. I stuck with it mostly because I wanted to know what happened with Nikki and the murders in the community. The writing of erotic stories was an interesting way to show character development but I felt like I didn't need to hear the whole story every other chapter to get to that point not a bad novel but I honestly felt like I just wanted the author to pick a lane and stick with it which is something we discussed at the top but I liked that about it I liked it I think it would have been more boring if it didn't have yeah all of that going on yeah I think it's kind of genre bending yeah which is cool so we can just agree to disagree. Yeah, and even Except in that... for the mysteries for Breaks for Born. <laughs> right, that was... On the... that, I agree with you, Lily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, the very last one is the shortest one, and there were a number of reviews by people from the Sikh or Punjabi community. Okay. So I just felt like I needed to honor that and give you one uh, to right. read for us as well. Okay, so this is from Hema. I only read this book because it seemed like all the other first-gen brown gals were reading it. I don't understand who this book is for exactly. It makes the community look bad to outsiders. It makes the community look bad to insiders. And all these aunties are the stuff of my worst nightmares. Hardcore, (laughs) do not recommend. So I I can't really refute that. I'm not part of that community. Um, I would say that as an outsider, though, I didn't think that it reflected badly on the entire community. I thought it reflected badly on this one very small group of people, which every group I've been a part of has also had that group of people. And so, like, I could see the parallels. Yeah, I'm not going to hold that against any, you know, immigrants or people of a different religion because, like, same girl like yeah. yeah but i can see that fear if you're from yeah. that like i would probably feel more prickly if it was about sure i'm a white girl so yeah, like my own community yeah even if it was about my community i live with privilege so yeah and the part and the part about the aunties or stuff of her nightmares you know oh, yeah. could, be tr- could be triggering also if you've yeah. grown up in that community i'm sure um that's fair man nikki's one auntie Auntie, what was her name? Auntie Jita? Auntie Jita, yeah. Oh, man, every time she came up, I was like, oh, get this woman out of here. (laughs) So passive aggressive. Anyway. So, yeah, those are some one-star reviews. uh, But for me, it was a four. For you, a five. I'm so happy to finally have talked about this book with someone. This is for sure my favorite one so far. So... And now you have to tell people that you like the book, Erotic Stories for Punjabi Women. I already told my mother-in-law, so... (laughs) It can't get worse than that. No. She's cool, though. I make you a deal. I'll tell my mother-in-law when I see her tomorrow. Okay. And we'll see how it goes. Deal. All right. Well, um, the next book uh, runs along a similar theme, I suppose, of loose women. (laughs) Um... We are going to take a break from recording for a few weeks during the holidays, but you, the listeners, will not have a break since we were a bit ahead. So next week, Stephanie will have read the book I assigned her, which is called The Coquette. Did you know what that word means? Nope. Yeah, it's it's an old, you know, 1700s word for loose woman. Oh. A, a, a flirt. A coquette who mm-hmm. likes a courgette. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So yeah, this is a mm, this is a early American Republic epistolary novel. So I hope it has porn sprinkled in. It, uh, well, it does have a sex scandal in it. Um, I love a sex. Scandal. I don't want to say more, but it's one of those like 
foundational pieces of American literature that I feel like nobody knows anything about. I've never heard of it. I, I, it's not one that I feel like our readers are going to go out and pick up, but I just feel like more people need to know about it. Let's so, tell them next week. We'll talk about The Coquette Next Week by written by Hannah Webster Foster. Thank you for listening to You Might Hate This Book. Join us again next week for more discussion of the books we love. And the books we hate. You can help others find this podcast by leaving us a a review and a five-star rating. And don't forget to hit subscribe. You can offer additional support and earn cool perks by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash hatethisbookpod. Thank you to our new Patreon subscriber, Pam. Thanks, Pam. Special thanks to Montague Workshop. See you next week. Um, so we can talk about the author a little bit. Yes, please. She was I know nothing. To choose the right audio apps for you. Which one do you want to use to listen to this? <laughs> cool. I wasn't talking to you, Apple Watch.